0: connecting life and faith this is connections
1: like there was just the scream from the back of the plane and i was in front i remember and once she screamed it just triggered everyone else and there was just chaos and shouting not running around or anything obviously but just like screaming inside the cabin and i remember just sitting there in my seat staring into space shell-shocked confused It was just a hard, it was a moment that was difficult to kind of reconcile with reality because it was so unexpected and just not anything that anyone expects when they board a plane. And my last memory in that aircraft is holding on to my friend's hand. She was in the aisle seat next to mine. And I remember we both looked at each other. We were going to pray. But that was the last thing that we said to each other. The last thing I said ever to her, to anyone on that plane, because the next memory is just... This metal scraping, jarring sound inside my brain and then just darkness.
0: The first thing you'll notice when you meet Kechi Okuchi is her scars. One of just two survivors of a devastating plane crash that killed more than 100 people, 16-year-old Kechi was left with third-degree burns over 65% of her body. More Than My Scars is her incredible story, a story of not just surviving impossible odds, but thriving in a world that is too often caught up with how we look on the outside to remember that our true value is within. Today on Connections, Kechi is going to share her story with us. We're joined today by Kechi Okuchi. She is a singer, a speaker, and the author of a new book titled More Than My Scars. A lot of our listeners are going to remember you from your time on America's Got Talent back in 2017. It was there that you shared a story and we're going to hear a little bit and talk about that story coming up in a little bit. But first, we want to get to know you a little bit better about your childhood and life growing up.
1: So growing up was um, a very fun and um, exciting experience for me. I grew up in Nigeria, which is where I was born and where I'm from. And I grew up as an only child for the first 11 years of my life. So I was very spoiled and by my parents and and just very doted on. You know, um, I had a really fun childhood. My parents made sure I was close with my extended family because they didn't want me to be lonely. And so I I grew very close to my like aunts and uncles and my cousins from both sides of the family. So I had a very just full and um, fulfilling childhood, I would say. I have more good memories than bad. And I have my parents to thank for that, you know, for just giving me that well-rounded kind of a, um, just childhood, you know, in general. My little sister was born when I was 11 and kind of changed the dynamic of my family. And uh, it was just, nice with her around you know it was better I was kind of like a second mom because I was so much older than her and I just loved having you know someone that I could do it on you know um and then I started high school so in Nigeria we have um like the system is secondary school and it's like you know from like uh like 11 years old to about 16 17 and so that time frame is spent in like a secondary school which is generally like a high school, like America's version of high school. And that was, uh, those are the most formative years of my life for sure. I guess for any kid, that would be the case. That was where I made the most, um, like, I guess, permanent friendships. You know, a lot of people that I met at that time are my friends till today. And um, it was a boarding school. So I spent basically nine out of 12 months of my life in that boarding school, like on that campus, you know, um, so it was like more time on campus than at home. So, you know, you spend all this time with all these people for the same like just consistently for six years, you know, it's something's going to stick for sure. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess, you know, at, at the time when the accident happened, I was 16 years old. So I was a senior in high school. And, um, the most important thing in my life at that time was the SATs that was like the huge, like you know, event coming up that you know was going to take over everything. I mean, so much because you know it was going to be the stepping stone to everything else that was supposed to come for the rest of your life. You know, college, working, everything. So um, that was the situation. The day that the accident happened, that 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 was what was going on. That was the most important thing happening at that time. You know, um, the day the accident happened was when you know everything just kind of a. Uh, went up in smoke, all the plans we'd been making, all the preparations suddenly didn't matter. And um a whole new life started from there.
0: And things literally went up in smoke for people who don't know what happened in that incident. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: So the accident happened on a Saturday. It was December 10th, 2005. And um it was going over the Christmas holidays. You know, this was... The end of the semester, the fall semester. And so myself and 60 other students were going home for Christmas. We were gonna be coming back pretty like in like three weeks to campus anyway. So it was gonna be a very short turnaround. So um to go home, typically those of us who live in the same area in Nigeria would board the same plane to go home. So this was a routine flight. You know, it was 61 of us, we were used to you know flying together, we would go home together on the same plane. And at the start of the semester, we would board the same plane to come back to campus. So this was one of those flights. It was nothing unusual. And I remember the day was a very normal day. You know, there was nothing weird that happened to make us think something crazy was going to happen later on. There was no reason to be nervous about anything. I remember we got to the airport with a school bus, and then eventually we boarded the plane. It was a regular commercial plane, Boeing jet, you know held 109 passengers total that day, including the flight crew. I remember everything was fine for the most of the flight. Like most of the flight was just normal, you know, uneventful, like flights should be. And it was about an hour and a half flight. And it was like maybe 20 minutes left when the pilot made the announcement that we would start the descent into the airport. That was when the turbulence started. And I remember at first it was nothing, you know, you don't react to turbulence. Mm -hmm you know, because especially when you're an experienced flyer, like, you know, it's a part of flying. So it's just normal. But then it started to continue, just continued and started getting more and more exaggerated. And I remember that was when like the tension in the, in the cabin kind of rose, but no one was saying anything yet because why would anyone say anything? Why would anyone assume the worst? Even though at this point that was what was on our minds clearly, Mm -hmm. because it was just, it was just getting really bad and it wasn't, it wasn't stopping. And then a woman at the, like, there was just the scream from the back of the plane. And I was in front, I remember. And once she screamed, it just triggered everyone else. And there was just chaos and shouting, not running around or anything, obviously, but just like screaming inside the cabin. And I remember just sitting there in my seat, staring into space, shell shocked, confused, because it was literally like a movie happening around me. It was just a surreal kind of it was just a hard, it was a moment that was difficult to kind of reconcile with reality because it was so, it was so like unexpected and just not anything that anyone expects when they board a plane. I felt like I was literally in a movie. And my last memory in that aircraft is holding on to my friend's hand. She was in the aisle seat next to mine. And I remember we both looked at each other. And we held each other's hands and your hands were cold and I, maybe my hands were cold, but I knew like I held her hand and we were going to pray because she was like, what, what is this? What do we do? And I remember just in this like very weird far off voice, like saying, I don't know, maybe we should pray. But that was the last thing that we said to each other. The last thing I said ever to her, to anyone on that plane, because next memory is just, this metal scraping, jarring sound inside my brain, and then just darkness. And the next time I opened my eyes, five weeks had passed, and I was waking up from a coma, and I was lying in a hospital bed in South Africa.
0: You were one of just two survivors in that yeah. plane crash. You did yeah. suffer some severe burn injuries. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about what happened?
1: So it turned out that I sustained third degree burns over 65% of my body, which just means that everything from the top of my head to the soles of my feet burned, except for my torso. So my tummy and my lower back did not burn. And um, everywhere in the place got third degree burns, which just, you know, kind of strips off the lid, the top layer of your skin and uh, the bottom layer in some areas as well. Um, so. Um, when i arrived in south africa i was given a 30% chance of survival and i remember um my mom telling me that you know the doctor that first saw me didn't expect to see me when he came back from his cuz he saw me he was the first doctor to receive me in south africa and then he had to go on vacation he had like leave so he didn't expect i would still be there after he came back in 3 weeks but i was and um that was just the beginning of my journey as a burn survivor as a That was the beginning of my recovery journey, the beginning of my new life in this in this state. And um, I spent the next seven months in South Africa. Now, the reason I was flown there was because Nigeria, we didn't have the um, capacity to care for the level of burns that I sustained. Hmm. So for me to have a fighting chance, they had to get me as soon as possible to the nearest place that did. And that was Johannesburg in South Africa. The other survivor, um, her name was Bumi. Well, her name is Bumi. She's a good friend of mine now. And I didn't know her prior to the accident. Um, She amazingly didn't sustain any burns. She broke like an arm. But, um, you know, where I blacked out, you know, um, upon impact, you know, I don't remember the actual crash. She, on the other hand, remembers everything. So her trauma is um, completely more psychological, I would say, than physical like mine. You know, so um, she has a whole different kind of trauma that is just probably um, the effects just seem to be much more long lasting. And um, I'm happy that we got to meet each other after. You know, of course, we had to know each other now, you know, because we had survived this thing together. But, you know, you know, I everyone on the plane that I knew was gone. And I didn't find this out until about four months into my treatment in South Africa. But, um, you know, it was important to meet her and know her because you know we had been through this thing together that no one else could could say that you know there was no one else to share that that kind of experience with in that in that way so um yeah that was pretty much what happened after you know i woke up and my journey started i was in south africa for 7 months 4 in the burn icu and 3 in the ward and um yeah that was that was south africa
0: what was it like to wake up and to hear that you were one of only two survivors? I know one thing you keep saying is you you had this new life that has started yeah. once you woke up. Tell me a little bit more or tell us a little bit more about that.
1: So I didn't find out the truth about the accident until about four months passed. And that was because they had to make sure that I was um, emotionally and psychologically um, balanced, you know, enough mm-hmm. To, to actually, like, hear the truth about everything and to to actually tolerate, to be able to hear it and, you know, survive hearing that news. So they couldn't let me know something so shocking until I was stable enough to, you know, actually take it. And during the four months before they told me that, I thought everyone was alive. I thought I got the worst of it. You know, I thought my friends were, you know, maybe they were injured but they were back in school, you know, since no one was telling me anything about them. I just assumed the best case scenario, you know, because if I was, I mean, no one survives, like a plane crash is not a thing that usually has like survivors. So if one person survived, I felt like, Hey, everyone else was good, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, my time, this for this first four months were just a completely, you know, it was interesting because even though my life was completely different now, It wasn't like I was constantly missing school or missing my friends or missing or thinking about the future. All that stuff came much later in my treatment where when I was much better, you know, the better I got, the more I was confronted by reality, you know, of my situation. When in the beginning, you know, when I was still healing and, you know, it was kind of touch and go, wasn't really certain yet whether or not I would make it. My mind was on nothing but just my present you know, and my mom, who was my rock at that time. She was the reason I was living at, like, in the beginning. And for a long time after, she was my, my purpose. She was, like, who I fought to stay alive for. I would open my eyes every day because I wanted to see her, you know. And, um, you know, I guess I needed that, you know. I needed something to hold out. I needed something to, to kind of latch on to this life and not fade away. And so my mom gave me that reason, you know. So, in the beginning, you know, when the treatment was still, like, everything was very fresh and numb, you know, that was like, I, I could barely focus on the need. I was, it, it, it was all I could do to stay alive. That was like my, my focus really, you know, trying to, trying to keep myself strong enough, like my will strong enough to like, you know, stay alive inside this body that was so broken and damaged. But as I got better, you know, of course, you know, my mind started to wander and I would think about my friends, I would think about school, prom, SATs, like just life in general and how soon I could get back to it. But more, you know, better and, you know, more obviously just I was definitely going to be alive. You know, I just kind of realized slowly that, you know, the life I was thinking about was not just gone, but like even to get back to like whatever life I would have after, I felt like it was just going to be a very, very long time. You know, the the better i got the more real the more reality hit me that this was going to be a very long process and the whole you know going back to life was just not probably not going to happen again but i could look forward to a different kind of life and even then that one was still going to be like it was still a ways off because i was going to be in the hospital for a very long time so i have to say that towards the like the latter parts of my treatment in South Africa like the last 3 months for instance were much harder to deal with than like a physical um the physical pain and itching that came with just the healing burns that was like a better like it just felt more less about me you know less about me was it's more that was more surgeries and everything didn't have anything to do with me but what they did to my body but as i got better the emotional and psychological effects of my situation kind of affected me more i guess is what i I mean by that, and um, I had to kind of come to some understandings and, and accept some things, you know, about my circumstances on my own, you know, I had to, I had to kind of accept certain things on my own and that took some time for sure.
0: That's definitely not something that we deal with regularly being the survivor of a plane crash, right? Like that's, that just doesn't happen. Like you said earlier, what would you say your faith has been like through all of this and even now uh, after you know, looking back and thinking, wow, you know, I, yeah. I went through something that you only see in movies.
1: Yeah. Honestly, you know, growing up with like a Christian family, you know, I knew of God and I believed in him. And, you know, I just kind of performed, you know, my faith, you know, not really faith, I would say performed my religion, you know, as just a kid that grew up, you know, in a Christian household. So I didn't really know him. You know, I didn't have a, a personal relationship with him prior to the accident. You know, I just floated around in this, com- in just this comfort of just kind of like you know living in this, you know, um, Christian household, and I felt like that was enough. You know, I didn't ever try to pursue anything specific with him. So that happened after the accident when I got to a place where it was like, there's only so much you can, you can gain from a kind of uh i want to say indirect faith through my parents through my mom especially it was just like i could tell that like prayer and the bible the words of the bible all these things these things really like gave life to my mom and to my family members and so they would use those things to speak life into me and my mom especially would pray for me and read to me from the scripture and she would just minister to me and I felt uplifted when she did that. I knew that a lot of people were praying for me from all over the world. And so I just kind of got comfortable in that feeling of people doing the work, you know, and not really making any effort to understand this God that everyone trusted so much to take care of me and to heal me. But I got to a place where it was no longer enough to have something indirect. I got to a place where if I wanted to heal as fully as possible, if I wanted access to the peace that Everyone keeps talking about. I was going to have to go to the source myself and not rely solely on my mom, who, by the way, you know, got her own faith and her own peace from him directly. You know, so you know, she would tap into that and then and then pour out into me. And at at a point, I wanted I wanted to know him for myself. And what triggered that was my situation. You know, I just I just kept feeling like you know, um, when my mom was around, everything was fine, you know, but when she left and she couldn't stay forever in the hospital, she I, she would have to like leave the, every day to come back the next day. And when she was not around, I was just, I was a mess. I just, I didn't have access to that. I didn't have the peace. I was overwhelmed by by my circumstances, the physical nature of them, the pain, the itching. And I just felt like this was just not sustainable, you know? It was just not my, my grandma had taught me like this meditation, you know, to like, you know, calm myself down. I and mean, it worked a lot of the time, but sometimes it didn't. And sometimes medication just could only go so far. And I would realize that a lot of what I was looking for was inside. Like if I had peace on the inside, it would like translate to my outside. And the only way that I've been told that I could access this was through praying for myself, you know, and learning how to do that for myself and, you know. I was being told that, you know, my pain, my itching, these things would be easier to bear if I was able to hand them to someone who, you know, would bear them for me, you know, because my parents, they could pray for me, but they couldn't take away the pain. You know, they couldn't take away the itching, but if I could talk to God and I could have this relationship with him where I could trust him enough to like give him my burdens, then maybe there'll be a difference. And you know that was what the issue was. It came down to knowing him, believing in him, believing in his existence, but not trusting him. You know because I didn't know him, and if you don't know him, how? Could, I mean, you can't trust who you don't know. You know, it's just that simple. So you know, how could I? How could I trust him to really take away my pain and my itching or take care of me? You give me peace if I didn't even know him. So, just it came to a head, and I just felt like. Now or never, you know, you've, you've gone, you've done everything catchy. They can't give you more pills, more drugs, nothing. So you're just going to have to pray and just figure this thing out and see for yourself who this God is, you know? So I guess my situation just kind of gave birth to this feeling of desperation to know him in my own way. And that was really the beginning of my own faith journey. You know, I'm not going to say or pretend that all my prayers were answered and everything I needed to know about, God was made clear in those moments. But I will say that it was the foundation of something real, something that was no longer derived, something that was more direct. I felt like I had more direct access to him and I felt like he was hearing me, you know, which was the important thing. I It wasn't really a silence on his end. He didn't answer my prayers the way I expected him to. He didn't take away my pain and my itching automatically like I wanted, you know, but I was able to access this peace that made no sense that made me just feel like senselessly that at the end of the day everything was going to be okay and I can't really explain how what like logically what that even means it's just something that I felt in my heart that gave me a peace that I desperately needed to get through what I was going through and not just to get through it but like to get through it come like and come out whole complete still be myself as much as possible, not lose myself in my situation. You know, um, I think that's the main thing that my faith gave me to be able to hold on to Ketchy, even though Ketchy looked so different now on the outside, but the essence of her hadn't changed. And I think that learning about God and holding on to him was something that helped me kind of uh, grasp and hold on to the aspects of me that mattered the most. You know, um, I think, I think all these things were able to happen because of the kind of family and the kind of people I had around me that fed just love and and hope and peace into my life, such that it was impossible for me to be any other way, really, you know. Um, So, you know, there's a lot to be said for a support system for sure. And I had a stellar one.
0: You are so inspiring in spite of everything that you've been through. You're now sharing your story in a book that you just released, More Than My Scars, The Power of Perseverance, Unrelenting Faith, and Deciding What Defines You. Why have you decided to share your story? I know it's extremely inspiring just talking to you, but what made you want to share it now?
1: Thank you. Um, Honestly, I've been wanting to share this story since about like 2015. I've been, it's been on my mind that this is something that I'm supposed to do you know, um, share the gritty parts of my, I guess, becoming, you know, the person that I am today. I feel like because of the show AGT, there's a lot of people that have gotten to know me at a time when I was already sure of myself and sure of myself in God. And it translated as this confidence that, you know, people see and feel like is so, um, Inspiring, you know, motivating, you know, helps them feel like they can, you know, be themselves, which is exactly what I, I hope for when people meet me. But you know, there was a journey to get to this place. I didn't automatically become this way. I mean, there are elements of just my, I guess, natural disposition that um, definitely helped me to, you know, be who I am today. But some some things have to be nurtured to get to this place, you know. And um, I wanted to share the ugly parts of my journey that um, had to happen to get me to a place where I could literally live my truth and my mantra that my scars do not define me, that they are part of me, but not my entire identity. And to show people through my life that there is life after trauma, and that that life can still be as full and happy as before your trauma, you know, so those are the main messages that I feel like, you know, those are the main things that I feel like my life um, exemplifies, and those the, are the main things I want people to get when to get when they see me, when they meet me, when they talk to me, and know my story. So showing them that is great, but I wanted to get show them the process of my my how I started to believe those things about myself. So I guess it was just this feeling of wanting to be more relatable to people to show them that you know you don't you, you don't have to go through something as dramatic as a plane crash for your trauma to be valid and relatable you know to me you know even though mine was this like it started with this dramatic story and this unique situation at the end of the day trauma is trauma and we all have some form of it some worse than others some invisible some visible and I wanted people to see that we are all pretty much going through this life in a very similar way even though our circumstances that bring us to these difficult situations may be different you know so i want people to kind of see that you know every it's all hard you know there's the growth and the things that you need to to go through to get to this place where you can you can learn and grow from your trauma and you can in fact you know kind of tap into your experience to help other people you know because you know that, that's that's kind of the, like when you go through something specific like yourself like when you, by yourself when you go through these things there's only it's only you you have that specific experience and you're the only one who can who can um, kind of like pour into other people and help other people in your own unique way based on your own experience. So we all have something that we can offer. And I feel like, you know, this is mine, but someone else's story can be different. Someone else can be, something happens to them when they were a kid. It can be anything, you know? And I feel like um, we all have to go through that learning process, that process of kind of like a refinement, you know, Mm -hmm. that um, happens after you go through trauma. If you don't allow it to keep you down, you go through a refinement process that gets you to a place where you can be like standing your truth and be yourself, be authentic, and then use your situation to help other people. So I wanted to show that process for people because at the end of the day, the truth is that, you know, there's nothing in this life that is worth, like earning, worth, worth gaining and worth having that isn't like fought for, you know, and this doesn't only apply for physical, like, you know, material things or tangible things, but even the qualities, the intrinsic qualities, the virtues that you need to kind of navigate life. Sometimes you have to, you know, nurture those things and and practice those things, discipline yourself, how to use those things to help it grow, you know? So I kind of wanted to show people all that basically. And that's the motivation behind writing this book. But the overall theme here is also to show people that a lot of this was impossible without my faith. I wanted people to know, At the core of me, that is the most important thing. And I need people to kind of understand that if you see something about me that you like, I'm I attribute that thing to God. That is literally where it came from. Like Christ is where this that's this, if you like my confidence, that's my infinite source of confidence. If you like the way I look at life, my perspective, that did not just come like, you know, naturally, like I'm some kind of genius. Like these things, these revelations, they all came through either Christ or through the people he put in my life that ministered these things to me. So that's kind of like in a lot of words, (laughs) my reason behind, you know, putting this book together and telling my story this way.
0: One thing we haven't really talked about, but I want to make sure we talk about before the end of this interview is music. Yes, And how important that's been in your life. Tell us a little bit about music when this (laughs) first started for you and the journey that's taken you on.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. So music, uh, music is just this, I just have this pure love. I mean, I guess everyone loves music in some degree, you know, um, for me, music and singing, it's something I've always loved and enjoyed since I was a kid, but then it definitely kind of got, um, much more prominent in my life. Like it got a much more prominent position in my life after the accident, when my voice actually changed. So no one knows why or how, but, my voice definitely went through some kind of change after the accident happened where I just sounded better. And I sounded more, just the quality of my voice just became, it improved for no reason that I can, I can give, (laughs) but it was noticeable, you know, and you know, it just kind of gave me this, it was like this one good thing, you know, out of this horrible situation. I didn't question it. I just accepted it and was happy with it. I sang with more confidence, you know, and um, I loved to sing. And so, you know, after I got to America, which was in 2007, about two years after the accident, when I came here to continue my reconstructive surgeries, my hospital, Shriner's Children's, Texas, which is in Galveston, Texas, they made music a part of my therapy. So, you know, at first it was only something they offered to kids. But when my therapist, my physical therapist, saw how much I loved to sing, she kind of suggested, you know, maybe I would love to participate in music therapy. And it was like the best that she could have done for me because music just kind of became this escape for me. You know, it was, it was something I was already enjoying like tremendously and that was healing me in ways that like surgery could not. But to have it as part of my treatment was a game changer because I had something to look forward to that didn't hurt. You know, I could enjoy music no matter what state I was in physically. And that's what I appreciated m- most about it, you know. And I feel like it was such a huge part of my life in hospital and out of hospital that like, I just, I just kind of uh, just developed this passion for, for, for music, you know, but did I ever get to a place where it was like, you know, I really want to do something with this, like career wise, I think I would like to go to a music show. Like those thoughts never occurred to me <laughs> and would never have occurred to me in my life because I just, I love singing. I love my voice. I felt, I felt like my voice was pretty Okay. But did I think it was good enough to go on like a music show and compete with people like <laughs> no, you know, so for me, it was like this hobby and this escape you know and i and I loved that I had that you know, and I could share that with my loved ones, but not with not with strangers, but eventually I like, got to a place where i didn 't want to sing in church, like that was a thing that I did as a kid and going to church here, I just felt like, you know, being part of a worship team would be pretty cool, you know, so for me, that would have been like the extent of it, you know, I would never have gone further, even the worship team was, took me, took me like five years to join, I first auditioned like in 2012, in the middle of like when I was uh, in college, I just never came back after the audition, <laughs> because I was just like, you know what, I don't know what I was thinking, I don't think I want to do this, I don't know, I don't know, I'm, I'm fine, and then three years after that, I came back to my church, and I was like, let me try this one more time, see if this works out, and so the second time around, it kind of stuck. It was better. I was like, you know what? Let me see this through. So to me, I was like, okay, God, I'm, I think I'm finally doing something with my voice. Like aside from singing for like my family and singing in my room, like this is a step outside of my box, you know? So I felt like I was good. That that's That's enough. That's fine. I'm doing something different. I'm doing something more. You know how you tell you he gives you a gift and it's like, you, you can't just sit on it. You can't just like keep it to yourself. So to me, I was finally like, you know, doing what I was supposed to do with my voice, you know? I mean, what better way to show him I appreciate him than to sing for him, you know? So mm-hmm. so that was it for me. But then um, in 2016, when I started my master's, um, in the middle of all that, you know, I was also working at the time. One of my best friends signed me up for America's Got Talent without telling me mm-hmm. and <laughs> essentially changed my life with that one move, basically. So she is the reason why, you know, everything else that happened, you know, from the moment she applied for that show for me happened, you know, me on being on the show, getting to be a finalist, everything. And then just basically, she, she basically changed, God used her to change the trajectory of my life in 2017, for sure, because my life has just never been the same since.
0: For those who want to learn more about you, they want to pick up this book, they just want to hear more of your story. How can they <laughs> go about doing that?
1: Well, you can follow me on social media. Um, so you can find my book on my website. It's called catchyofficial.com. And there, there's a link to pretty much every place you can get the book. You know, Barnes & Noble, um, Amazon, Amazon UK. Um, you can walk into a Barnes & Noble and get the book as well. You know, it's available everywhere books are sold. And then um, if you want to follow my story, my journey, because I also love music and I have music coming out as well. Um, you can follow my social media I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter TikTok, just search for Catchy with the blue check mark and you will find me, just type in Catchy on all these platforms and I hope I see you guys there I hope I, you know, just, you know, I I appreciate every, you know, every single person that supports me and follows me and um, yeah, just, you know, join me on my journey and, you know, let's see how far this goes
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for making time for us
1: Of course, thank you for having me
0: And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.